You could be two centimeters and your labor could go on for three weeks. You could be two centimeters and have a baby in an hour. It really is not valuable information except in that we know your body is doing something. Hello, I'm Carolyn and this is What Doulas Know. I'm a doula, the mother of two, and for over 40 years, a registered nurse. My goal is to educate, support, and empower before, during, and after pregnancy with a special emphasis on labor and childbirth. All information presented in this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. The persons presenting the episodes are not licensed doctors. You should consult a qualified medical professional before making any decisions regarding your health, including any decisions based on information presented here. Today we're going to talk about the stages of labor on this episode of What Doulas Know. April Klein returns to help us with this episode. She's a doula and a certified midwife. Our goal is to help you understand the journey of labor that, even though it is challenging, will be one of the most powerful and joyful experiences you will ever have. I heard a saying urging women to cherish every moment of pregnancy and labor, realizing the wonderment growing inside is a chance in assisting God in a miracle. So let the labor begin. <laughs> so April, what? Are, how many stages of labor are there? Oh, good grief. Yeah. <laughs> how many minutes of labor? Are yeah, how there? long do we have to go through this? Right. If there was only a roadmap, yeah. if I could hand you the roadmap, I would be a millionaire. There are so many stages of labor, and we tend to simplify it down to three, mm -hmm. which is it's just a misunderstanding. I really find that people start clinging to these signposts and losing track of where they actually are. So for me, when I talk about the stages of labor, I tend to think of it more in a quantum way rather than a signpost way. So the quantum signs include the physical things that are happening, the emotional things that are happening, the psychological things that are happening, and the spiritual things that are happening. When we start to think about it in the longitudinal way rather than as a, I have to get from A to B and B to C, and see to hopefully the baby in my arms, um, it opens up the possibility for what you described so beautifully, which is a, a communion, a, a ceremony almost, uh, a deepening of experience rather than just, I have to get through this. Right. I think when we had the retreat, we did talk about how women can feel almost like a failure if mm -hmm. they don't go from what they perceive as point A to point B, or even the medical community will say, well, you have to do this before we can do that. Right. And that's not always the way this woman's labor is going to go. Yes. Women in this society in particular have a very hard time trusting their bodies. I see so many ways that we undermine a woman's relationship with her body, not to mention her trust with her body, even outside of pregnancy and birth. Right. So then when we hit a pregnancy and a birth and we expect this woman to suddenly trust her body in the process, it's there's no groundwork for that. There's no bank account full of trust to draw upon. Does that you know uh, what I yes, mean? Yes, absolutely. So I work a lot with people prenatally talking about the the physiology 
and finding the faith that if your body knows how to grow a baby, it knows how to get it out, right? You're not sitting here going, okay, today I'm going to build an ear. Here is how we build an ear. Now I must bring these nutrients here and I must bring this over here and I have to, you don't think about any of that. None of that is even a thought in your mind. Your body knows what she's doing to build a baby. So let's extrapolate that out and say that nature has a very vested interest in helping that baby out, right? It's not going to grow something and leave it in there. It really wants to get it out as well. Okay, so if somebody calls you and says, April, I'm in labor, what, is the, what are the things that you say to them? I know you have a, a stock answer <laughs> that uh, is probably going to be surprising to some of our listeners because it was to me when I first so heard it. do that again. Call me and tell me you're in labor. If I say, hello, April, April, I'm in labor. I got to go to the hospital. Oh, awesome. Go take a nap. <laughs> That's what I say almost every time. Well, okay, so not truly. Truly, I I ask questions. I find out what's really going on. And if the person is in obviously early labor, things are not like at the point where we're about to push a baby out. Really, truly, my first response is, good, go take a nap. And if you can't take a nap, take a rest. And if you can't take a rest, lay down and watch a movie or read a book or play with your kid or, you know, something that gets this person out of the excited, adrenaline-filled, oh my gosh, I have to keep this going, I want to I have this baby. Because when labor is really engaged, you can't shut it down. And when labor is not going to keep going, you can't make it go. So why would we burn all of our energy in the and this is our early stage of labor, why would we burn up all of our energy that we have for the entire process in this early stage? I, I totally get that, uh, but it doesn't feel like that when you have no. that first contraction. No, of course not. It's so exciting. And we can be excited, but we also need to be practical. Right. And the practical is, and I ingrain this in my clients, my personal clients, know that when they call me or text me and they're all excited, I'm going to say, that's so awesome. I'm excited to go take a nap. Mm -hmm. And if you call me back in half an hour and say, I can't nap, they're too strong, then we know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is really, truly, Carolyn, the number one reason that I see for labors not going the way that people want them to go. It is simply that people get excited, which is natural, but we burn up all of that energy in the beginning, and then when it actually comes time to pull forth all of our resources, we have no resources left. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So if if you finally get to tell the person, okay, we mm-hmm. can get to go to the mm-hmm. birthing center, what, and it's because they can't stand to stay home another minute, that's the contractions are so great? Or? This is actually one of the biggest questions people have. So first time people especially, right, is how will I know? When do I go? And if they're having uh, an institution birth, a birth center or a hospital that they need to travel to, absolutely. That's like the biggest question. How will I know? I don't want to go too late and have the baby on the side of the road. I don't want to go too soon. And then I'm on the clock and they want to do all sorts of things to me that I didn't want done. And um, yeah, it's definitely, um, it takes a lot of consideration to figure out what I have sort of hold it down to after all of these years is if your labor has a good pattern and the the contractions are coming on a regular basis and you're managing them well, then I would suggest that you go get in the shower. And if you get in the shower and things slow down, then you go rest. And if they don't slow down in the shower, if they stay the same or pick up, 
almost always the woman is going to be clear. I need to get out of the shower and get get where I'm going, like now. So that shower for me is is the tool that I turn to as a yes, I'm not I'm not ready, or yes, I'm ready. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do people still time their contractions? They do. They love the apps. <laughs> Almost everyone loves the apps. And I find that a lot of the, the supporting people will download the app and they'll sit there or they'll have their piece of paper and their pencil and they'll time every contraction and and plot it. People now typically will send me snap, you know, screenshots of their timed contractions from their apps and I can look at it. It's actually really valuable information. A doula that has some experience uh, will be able to look at that and know some of what's going on, right? So someone just last week was in labor and the contractions had a very odd pattern. And she sent me a screenshot of what was going on. I was like, oh, your baby's in a weird position. All of those are trying to help your baby get into a better position. Let's try this. And I had her do a series of three positions and the baby flipped and she texted me back in 25 minutes and said, this is actually the husband and we're going to the hospital. Her contractions are every 90 seconds and we're on our way in. So yeah, it can be really valuable information actually, as much as I don't really promote tracking things normally, I think that that it can be valuable. What are some of the decisions that need to be made during the first stage of labor? Say, Let's say that we've got ourselves to the hospital, so now what do we do? Uh, it, I, I know it depends on whether it's a hospital or a birthing center, whether they're going to let you walk or eat or if you're going to have to wear their gown or what, but what are some of the decisions we need to make during the first stage? Right, so if you're really early in labor, my suggestion is to stay home as long as you possibly can. If you're not having a home birth and you know that you're going to be going somewhere to birth, you wanna stay in your home as long as you can because in your own environment, it's germs that your body is used to, it's the ability to get up and use the bathroom and the shower and get food that you want when you want it. Um, you can walk outside very comfortably. You have all of your animals or other comfort things around you. It's just more conducive to settling into a good labor pattern. Um, I really promote my cycle of three, which is the baby's pattern once the baby's out. It's to eat something or drink something. It's to do a little something, and then it's to rest. So that cycle just continues through the early part of labor. It can be a full meal and a glass of water and then it can be going for a walk around the block and then it can be laying down and actually falling asleep and then as labor progresses it may become more like a bite of something or a sip of that or the activity could look like changing positions or moving from hands and knees back onto back or side Um, and then the rest may actually just be like laying your head over between contractions (laughs) as things get really cooking But that cycle can continue throughout and can actually be very comforting to have that, I know what I'm doing next. A pattern. Mm -hmm. A pattern can be very um, stabilizing. I like that idea much more than these guideposts of now the cervical dilation is this and the and the effacement is that, and, and the you know here's where we are in this labor. I like this cycle because as the cycle starts to shift to eating less, doing less, resting less, we know that we're moving up into the, the higher levels of labor. So back to your question about what do we do, those are the things that we can do at home. Those are the things that we can do at the hospital or the birth center as well. 
it looks a little bit different there. If you have worked out with your care provider that you can eat and drink in labor, which I would hope. Now, this is a kicker, a loaded question. Okay. How the heck long does this first stage last? Oh, girl. Okay, well, I have a person who's in labor now who has been in labor for three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Actually in labor, not just having some what they call Braxton Hicks, you know, practice contractions is what I would prefer to call them. This is, her body's been laboring, and she finally reached out for some help and um, is now in labor. But three weeks is kind of the longest that I have experienced on a personal level. But typically, a first stage of labor, that early stage of labor, um, you know, it can last an hour, it can last four hours, it can last eight hours, it can last 20 hours. There's really, unfortunately, again, if I could give you a roadmap, Mm -hmm. but things that I know that help it go faster, take less time, are that you have done your work prenatally to help the baby be in an excellent position. So optimal fetal positioning is what we call that. Body work is excellent for that. Craniosacral can be helpful with that. Chiropractic can be helpful with that. Even acupuncture can be helpful. Um, Yeah, and just having the baby head down is not optimal. It's kind of the base level of optimal positioning. But that would be worth exploring for sure. Spinningbabies.com is a fire hose of information. But wow, what invaluable information as well, just as a starting place for fetal positioning. Yeah. And being hydrated and rested would be the other two things that help that go quicker. Yeah. I think that is one thing um, they want to do as soon as you get into the hospital sometimes Mm. is to start an IV. Mm -hmm. Um, But we found that if you can, you can hydrate yourself and you can also feed yourself because this takes up a lot of calories. It takes up a lot of energy, the the labor process. Yes, it does. So uh, we don't advocate having a full 10-course meal, but <laughs> just make sure that you've got your favorite granola bar or yogurt, nuts or yogurt or sticks. yeah, mm-hmm. something um, that is really good. Yes. So if we go to the second stage, is mm-hmm. that the pushing stage? Not yet. Okay. Not quite yet. Well, it's it includes that, right? Okay. So towards the end of that would be the time when you would start to feel pushy. That second stage for me is a bit more amorphous. It's what we would call active labor. But active labor really just means that the contractions are now settling into a pattern and becoming more intense. And what's really happening is that the uterus is pulling up towards the top, like a turtleneck sweater coming up into a bunch up at the top. And the reason that it's doing that is because it's a giant muscle and it's getting ready to literally expulge the baby down and out. What happens coincidentally as you pull that turtleneck sweater up is that the hole of the turtleneck sweater gets bigger and bigger and shorter and shorter, which is the cervix. So that is the quantifiable factor here that everyone is fixated on. That's how we know where you are in labor. But in actuality, it has almost nothing to do with where you are in labor. So if I could expel that myth, I would be so happy. You could be two centimeters and your labor could go on for three weeks. You could be two centimeters and have a baby in an hour. It really is not valuable information, except in that we know your body is doing something, right? And we know that. We know the body's (laughs) doing something. If you're in active labor, I'm pretty sure you don't need a memo that your body's doing something. So if you were going to choose an epidural, is this the time? That has a lot of factors that go into it. 
Um, you don't want to do it too early. You don't want to do it too late. I mean, I've seen labors or heard stories of labors where the epidural went in when the woman was basically feeling pushy. I, I've seen pretty mixed results with it going in that late. Uh, I feel like that is really a failure of support. Because mm-hmm. during that transition, that period where the cervix is you know, finishing up its, its opening as the fundus is pulling all the way up and that baby's really down in there and ready to start to come out, that by its nature is a time when a person feels overwhelmed, like they cannot possibly do this, that they need help, that nothing feels right, everything is wrong. And all they really need to hear is, you've got this. I see you. You're working so hard, and you've totally got this. And I've seen women just lay back and push a baby out, just yeah. hearing those words. Yeah. We're Did gonna, not need an epidural. We're going to talk a lot about interventions and epidurals and oh, good. all sorts of things oh, in future episodes. So I think that's really important. Episodes worth. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole episode's worth. So the one thing I have been asked is, should the dad be at the head or the foot or who pulls the baby out or can I pull my baby out? How how do you address that? Is that, in my opinion, that's all done before you ever get to that point? Optimally, you want to have some parameters around that, some ideas around that, and then flow with what's happening in the moment. So this last birth that I was at, there was no discussion about who would be helping the baby. You know, and truly babies will just come out. They don't really need to be pulled on most of the time. But there was no discussion about whose hand was going to be there. And just the position that everyone ended up in, it ended up that my hand was the only free hand that was within proximity. And I put my hand there. But the baby was so fast that the head came, the body came, and the baby swam up to the mom. So this was a water birth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, babies can just come out, too. But yeah, if the dad wants to to assist with the baby coming out, that can be a very tender thing. It can really lay beautiful groundwork for bonding for all three of them. But I always encourage dads to be where they feel safest. Where do you feel that you're going to be able to be the strongest support person? And a lot of them just know, like, I will only be good up at the head. I want to be right there next to her face in it at that end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and some are like, oh, I want the whole ooey gooey experience. Put me <laughs> down at the bottom. But it can morph. And if that dad is feeling super supported, the support person needs just as much support, right? If that person feels supported, then sometimes they surprise themselves. I've had people who really thought they were going to pass out and in the moment were so moved and mm-hmm. so involved that they were watching the entire thing happen and none of it fazed them. That's my experience of birth is that it can be such a moving experience that you're not the same person that you were before it happened. Even those of us that are just there as witnesses or attendants, it's it's powerful. Very, very, very powerful. Okay, so we're going to just wrap it up with a quick placenta expulsion <laughs> and uh, kind of funny that we're going to wrap this up with a placenta expulsion mm-hmm. because that's how everybody feels. Yes. Oh, oh there's a placenta. I, oh. What do I do with that? Yes. So here you are and the baby's out and hopefully the baby's right up on the chest and everyone's happy and getting to count toes and fingers and feel a sense of accomplishment. And then there's like the, oh yeah, the placenta. Right. It's a little bit of a insult to injury for some people to realize there's still more work to do. Mm-hmm. But it's important work. 
and you bring attention to it and say, pay attention when your body starts to feel a little bit crampy. And remember that it doesn't have bones. It doesn't have a head. It's just a big blip, right? And it's just going to come down. It's going to feel really full and a lot of pressure. And then it's going to bloop and then it will be done. And then your body will be your own for the first time in almost nine months or whatever, right? Like finally you have your body kind of back to yourself. Yeah, it can it can feel really amazing. We, well, and then I really want to be clear that the work isn't even done then. Then the work is to stop bleeding. Yeah, and, and there's many different ways to do that with massage and the drugs that the hospital so, caregiver may give yes, you. Yes, a lot of hospitals like to give Pitocin just across the board to everyone. Um, I really encourage people to think that through and maybe do a little bit of research about it. The body is made to pump hormones. If the person has not been on an epidural or Pitocin in labor, then hopefully their own hormones will come in and help that uterus clamp back down. If there have been those other factors, then it's something to consider. And you may need some medicinal help to to help your uterus clamp down and stop bleeding. Okay. Yeah. So in future episodes, we're going to talk about placenta <laughs> encapsulation. Oh, nice. And okay. uh, some different cord blood, mm-hmm. uh, donating it or saving it. So um, oh, I look all the good. Topics. I look forward to talking about that. So thanks, April. It was my pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Doulas Know. You can learn more about the show and my guests at whatdoulasknow.com. Please rate and review this show. It helps get more exposure and reach additional people. Peace to all. Thanks.